So bad, I've gone past good and back to bad again. I'm Eric. And I'm Cam. Welcoming you to the podcast where we look at the pop culture of our youth through the lens of adulthood. It's not about good or bad, it's about then and now. As we try our best to answer the question... What what were we watching? We did not say that the same at all. (laughs) We had good syncopated situation. (laughs) Oh, wow. What a beginning to episode 197, Ghost World. And after about five minutes of this podcast, you're going to wish you had 10 beers. (laughs) Today is very special because we're welcoming two friends. This is a long-awaited collab with the Sexy Books podcast. First, joining us once again is Blythe Rudloff. Hello. And joining us for the first time, it's Claire Holland. Hello. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us. We're fans of, of your show, the Sexy Books podcast, and we can't wait to talk about Ghost World with you. Thank you. Me too. And it was adapted from something of a sexy book. That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was going to look into that, but I just didn't. But it is kind of a sexy. It's It's not the same as our sexy books, but... (laughs) I actually have a copy in my hands. Oh, nice. (laughs) So I can, you know, rate the sexiness. (laughs) 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 Or however we want to do it. (laughs) It's got some weird sexy parts. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's fully sexy. There is sex (laughs) in it. Yeah, it depends on how you feel about older men and stuff like that. True. And, you know, traditional jazz, blues, and ragtime as well. I like both of those things, but still, you gotta have a good chemistry, and uh, I'm not sure that theirs is sexy after all. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. But this is such a fascinating film. A little different from the usual childhood fair, but this falls in the bucket of, like, teenage years right cam yeah yeah i definitely watched it in high school and informed those teen years a little bit so and this was indeed uh ghost world was released on july 20th 2001 and it was directed by terry zweigoff written by daniel klaus and terry zweigoff adapted from the graphic novel by daniel klaus and it stars thor birch scarlett johansson steve buscemi brad renfro bob balaban terry gar and Ileana douglas good cast Excellent cast. But uh, before we jump into our discussion, Cam, why don't you, you know, take us back to those days of 2001, those days we couldn't just wait to get done with high school, and uh, give us a little recap of the events of Ghost World. Spoilers 
So sarcastic teens Enid and Rebecca have graduated high school and spend their summer wandering their hometown, mocking everybody and everything in sight. Enid is forced to attend a remedial art class in order to receive her diploma, while Rebecca is eager to make plans for the two to move into an apartment together. One day, they see a personal ad in the newspaper by a lonely man named Seymour, who they prank call, pretending to be his missed connection, and invite him to the diner they frequent. When he shows up, the pair spy on and make fun of him, though Enid starts to sympathize with Seymour. She follows and ends up befriending him after buying a vintage blues record from his garage sale. Enid grows closer to Seymour and further apart from Rebecca, who eventually becomes frustrated and gives up on living with her friend. After falling out with Rebecca and failing her art class, Enid drunkenly turns to Seymour, and the two sleep together. Seymour cuts things off with the woman he's seeing to be with Enid, but Enid starts avoiding his calls. Seymour visits Rebecca looking for Enid, and she admits to their original prank call and shows him Enid's cartoon drawings making fun of him. An upset Seymour tries to confront Enid's friend Josh, who he assumes is her real crush, but Seymour is beaten up and hospitalized by another customer at the convenience store where Josh works. Enid visits Seymour in the hospital to apologize, and the film ends with Enid sitting down at an out-of-service bus stop where she had recently seen an old man named Norman waiting every day until finally a mysterious bus picked him up one day. The bus arrives, Enid boards, and she rides out of town. The end. Excellent. Question As mark? <laughs> <laughs> lots of plot, but also lots of other texture and flavor in this movie, which we'll talk about. But Yeah, I would argue it's mostly texture and yeah, flavor yeah. and kind of just episodic tone building more than plot but yeah there is that through line of seymour and yeah it's quite a, well just hearing you describe it, it's like there is quite a bit of plot anyway you know yeah yeah with the <laughs> the, the romance aspect mm-hmm. but what i'm curious about to start with is just learning how this movie came into everyone's life so let's start with uh blythe do you remember the first time you saw ghost world so i don't remember i have a terrible memory in general but I went back into my greatest journal blog to see if I could, if it happened sometime after 2003 when I started um, doing my blog, and I found two uh, entries with Ghost World in it. One was in early 2004 when I had just watched Big Fish, and I referred Mm -hmm. to Steve Buscemi as the guy from Ghost World. So he had no name. He was the guy Mm -hmm. from Ghost World. So it was clearly my like one and only most influential Steve Buscemi (laughs) introduction uh, for what seems like years. And then the other entry was um, when I listed my like 200 VHSs and DVDs and it was amongst my VHS collection. I feel like it just existed forever in my life. Like I know I didn't see it in theaters. I almost barely can imagine it even being in theaters in my town but wherever it showed up on tv it was like an instant hit in my heart and i went and bought it and i probably watched it like i don't know 20 times a huge amount of times it was very influential (laughs) i like the idea of steve buscemi as the guy from ghost worlds what a thing to be (laughs) (laughs) it's a great compliment in my opinion Agreed. (laughs) Claire, how about you? Do you remember the first time you saw this movie? I am similar. I don't remember like the first time I saw it because I definitely saw it on TV randomly the first time, but it definitely came into my life like at the same time as a lot of other like 
it was like a time when I was very into indie movies and like very into Gen X kind of movies, like reality bites and stuff like that. Mm. I definitely wanted to be like that very angsty, like totally different, you know, kind of person like Enid. Like I had an Enid inside of me, but I definitely wasn't a full Enid in high school or anything like that. And it, yeah, the same as Blythe, it just felt like it always existed as like this influence on me. And it was just always like something that I loved. And I don't, I just don't remember the first time. <laughs> that's that's like, yeah, that can be interesting sometimes how you catch a snippet of it somewhere or like a friend kind of clues you in or you maybe read about it mm-hmm. somewhere and you're like, oh yeah, this yeah, is and my I jam. Did, I did read the graphic novel at some point in high school. Like mm-hmm. I was very into this movie. But I don't remember the first time seeing it. Were either of you uh, Daria fans? Because it seems to have a similar vibe. I was not in high school. Not till later. I didn't see. And I think that was part of the appeal, too, of Ghost World is like I didn't have a ton of these kinds of touchstones, you know, like I was definitely looking for these like outsider characters that like I related to in a way. Yeah, I did not watch MTV, so I didn't have a a great sense of that. But I was a big fan of Janine Garofalo, who I'm pretty sure inspired Daria and had kind of a, like, no basic bitches kind of a vibe (laughs) (laughs) before that was a phrase. Mm -hmm. The Gen X archetype, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was very into that Gen X thing. Like, I wanted to be more jaded and, like, disaffected than i was <laughs> <laughs> we were all just born a little too late sadly <laughs> uh cam what about you uh it's, well it's funny Blythe, that you mentioned going back through like old blogs because uh, i did the same thing <laughs> recently and i did find some evidence that i had seen ghost world pretty like in 2002 it came out in 01 and then was released in, on dvd february 2002 and that that was like the year that was my freshman year and that was like the year I was getting like into films seriously and like watching indie films and kind of just like putting stuff like this on my radar. Um, and I, I, there was some post that, similarly, it was like about Steve Buscemi. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I don't know, I forget what the comment was, but I was just like, Steve Buscemi, great in Ghost World and something else, like something, so I don't know, I can't remember. But at that point in 2002, I had already watched it. So I think it was like, and it was definitely DVD, it was not in theaters. Um, I actually have a memory of renting and watching it with friend of the podcast, Nate, Nate Tapp at his house. I feel like maybe I had already seen it and I was like, you got to watch this movie. And I think that might've been like the summer of 2002. So that's kind of where I'd place it. Summer 2002 ish. And yeah, I just, I loved it. I also was like a big Thor Birch fan growing up. I had a big crush on her. Um, so I was like, oh, cool. She's like graduated to these cool indie movies that I'm now getting into as well. So I'm on the journey with her. <laughs> yeah. Imagine, you know, uh, worlds in 2001, 2002, where Thoreau Birch was a much bigger star than Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous of you all because I did not see this movie until I was like fully 30 years old. I <laughs> I saw it uh, at, at Cinespia in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Yes. No less. That was my That's very awesome. first time. <laughs> <laughs> it was a real fun time because, as you know, this is a cult classic, and all the members were there. <laughs> mm. It was like a it was like a convention, and it was wonderful. 
<laughs> I feel like a cemetery, a cemetery feels like the perfect place to watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. They curate you know. their films so well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you can imagine a, an environment, like all the jokes are landing perfectly, mm-hmm. you know, everyone yeah. is so psyched to, to be watching it. And it's also mm-hmm. something that's not, you know, overdone in a, in a venue like that, like outdoor movies or just, you know, programming, you know, repertory programming in general, like, it's still something of, I, I think, a hidden gem. There's still a lot of people out there who I think would really love Ghost World, but just haven't had a chance to see it. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I think it's also a great film for this podcast because I really, because I saw it when I was in high school, like I wanted to be Enid when I was in high school. I think what's so magnetic about her is that she seems to have such a strong sense of identity. And when you're young, you're just like grasping for like, who are my friends? What are the things that define who I am? And Mm -hmm. she has like such unique, interesting things that she likes. And she's so judgmental of other people, which you just Mm -hmm. like, same as it would work in real life, you would be like, oh, I don't want to be someone that Enid would not like. (laughs) And I think that was really powerful. But then watching it when I'm older, I'm, I of course don't want to be Enid. <laughs> like, she's a really tragic figure <laughs> now, but um, I just feel like it's so relatable in high school and it's funny to look back at it. And I think it's still so good, but my perspective on these characters is entirely different. Oh my God. I had the exact, like I watched it again today and I had the exact same reaction as you and like watching it, my husband watched it with me and he had never seen it before and he absolutely hated Enid. And I was like, I know, but like, you don't get it. Like I feel for her so hard now. Yeah. (laughs) Going back, um, I, I read the Roger Ebert review of this movie when it came out. And he, he, one of the things he said is like, I want to give this movie a big hug. And I feel like yeah. that's the way, you know, we're meant to feel about Enid. Just like, yeah. oh my God, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> totally. Because she's really just like projecting all of those things. Now, like she doesn't really want to deal with her own life. She doesn't want to make decisions. She wants to like become obsessed with Thing, like which I can totally relate to. I remember just locking on the weirdest stuff and becoming obsessed with things. And I feel like that's what she's doing. She doesn't really want to deal with what's happening with her friend and not yeah, not wanting to worry about that moving in piece and and mm-hmm. so it's just easier to be like, that person sucks. That person sucks. Here's why mm-hmm. I'm awesome. Why don't they they're an idiot. But what's so lovable about her is like what she sees in Seymour. Like that's yeah. what makes her, yeah, so endearing. Why you really want to give her a hug is because she wants to give Seymour a hug and I also want to give Seymour a hug. And <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like it's it's complex. Like I feel like both Enid and Rebecca are mature and immature in different ways. Neither of them are like entirely one thing. Yeah, Enid is immature in, in many ways. Like she is kind of lost and... But yeah, she sees that in Seymour, who I feel like is like the successful version of what she kind of wants to be, is like someone who can just like narrow in on these like niche passions and I loved when she was like, sorry, I just loved when she's like, you're the luckiest guy in the world. And he's just like, yeah. "Yeah." (laughs) (laughs) What did she say? You're kind of my hero? Yeah. 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 
But then, like, you have Rebecca, who is, like, the more mature one in, in some ways, where she's, like, the one who's responsibly looking for a place to live and, like, shopping for things that the apartment needs. Has a job. <laughs> getting a job, yeah. But she's also the one that's, like, still stuck in that cynical teenager phase who, like, trash talks and looks down on everyone, including Seymour. I don't know if she learns her lesson about that kind of stuff. And I feel like Enid is the way more empathetic, sympathetic one who sympathizes with Seymour. And she's like, I don't know, more accepting of of people. I actually was surprised when I rewatched it more recently because she had like a lot more closure with Seymour and um, her friend. I forget her friend. Becky. (laughs) Scarlett Johansson. (laughs) Because when I, the way that I remembered it was like she slept with Seymour and then she just like left town. And Mm -hmm. she actually had closure with a lot of people Mm -hmm. that like did show a lot of maturity that I didn't remember as a teenager. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I was reading like what both Daniel Klaus, Klaus, the writer, and then Terry Zweigoff and Thor Birch all said about the ending. Because there's a there's a theory that the ending kind of symbolizes suicide, how she gets on the bus, and that's like re- representative of of death or something. The final transition, like the old man. right? Yeah, yeah. And the, and so the writer Daniel Close says he didn't really see that, but enough people have said it where he's like, okay. And then Terry Zwigoff said, you know, I don't see it that way at all. It's, I think it's like empowering for for Enid. Like she moves on. She kind of accepts herself and is able to like move away and like start a new chapter and then thora birch says she she imagines like a very dark ending she probably thinks i bet she's more in line with like the suicide reading (laughs) Mm. so it was interesting to hear like these three creative minds behind this movie having kind of different takes on where she ends up in the end i had like a little discussion with my husband after we watched it and he sort of was like well is she gonna go die (laughs) (laughs) and i was like in my opinion she's just like taking her own path that's mm-hmm. how I saw it. Me too. Yeah. I feel like it's inspired. Like she has a pretty limited set of choices, and she's sort of experimented with all of them. Like she, she was gonna move in with Becky, but then she just really couldn't. She can't stay home with her parents, especially with the new stepmom who she already has tried, and that's not gonna work. And then obviously the Seymour thing was a big oops a daisies. So. Uh, and then she didn't get to do the thing. So, but it didn't seem like she was like ready to give up. Like those were her four ideal choices and she couldn't get into any of them. I think she was just like, no, I I don't need to stay here. Let me just see what else is going on. I thought it was like a pretty hopeful and like brave thing to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To not settle for those choices. Yeah, because you see Rebecca kind of like, you know, they're 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 raging against the conformists the whole movie. And I feel like Rebecca's on the path to conforming. She is really excited about that ironing board at the end. Like, that was for me. I was just like, I can't. <laughs> She's like, it's great, right? <laughs> I was like, I mean, I was with you about the apartment up until then. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, they just have... I like... It was one of the more relatable parts is I can... When you're in high school, your friends are your everything and you make plans with them and like you don't have foresight, uh, just like how you're competitive with your friends in other ways, like what college we're going to get into and whatever. And then you leave high school and immediately it doesn't matter what any of your friends think because whatever, you have a totally different life. But there is this like tremendous tension when 
you ha- like find any sort of sense of self and then it conflicts with your friend. And I really like that that tension is the whole movie. But then in the end, it's completely resolved because they're like, all right, let's just be honest about where we are. We're not going to move in together like that. So we can be mm-hmm. friends because we don't have to be going on the same path. And the problem was that we were trying to fit a square peg mm-hmm. in a round hole, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a coming of age story. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it is. It is like almost classic in that sense, because it really reminded me of like a Gen X catcher in the rye. That is just what I kept going back to as I watched this yeah. fo- this movie. Railing against phonies, you know. Yeah. When you're really yeah. just and, and like, you know, all this all this fucked up stuff is happening around you and you're trying to square all of that with, you know, who you're becoming. And I don't know, I, I feel like I'm kind of glad in a sense I did not see this movie as a teenager because I really doubt I would have liked Enid at all. I think I would have <laughs> just like listening to Holden Caulfield whine on and on and on until he gets the point. <laughs> but I'm so, but I'm glad, you know, to have this perspective coming at it as an adult. It's like, yeah, I just, I really feel for Enid in all the ways that, that all of you have described too. You know, I think I do, I still, I still do think like she's kind of willfully kind of staying in that place. I, there are a lot of attempts by other people to kind of reach out. Like e- even like her father is kind of, a refresh in a refreshing change from a lot of teen movies. Her father's very like kind and supportive, even if he's not completely, you know, aware of what's going on. He wants, he's trying at least. And, and there are moments too, when Seymour is kind of like, kind of trying to push through. He's like, really? Like, this is really what you want. You really want to be hanging out with me, you know, trying to check, you know, kind of get her to take a reality check every now and then, but she's just way too, you know, obsessed as you brought up she's just like not there yet she can't Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) i relate to that i feel like i was really glad at the end of high school that i just knew i had to go to college because that was just like the thing that we were doing because i didn't have to think about any of this life stuff like for four more years at least and like i feel like i still relate to enid because i still don't really know what i'm doing (laughs) (laughs) I wrote a whole list of things that I felt were really relatable to me at the time. One was being really judgmental of like basic people, even though I was definitely more basic than Enid. I wasn't like totally off the beaten path. Not realizing how mean you are, like not really feeling like the impact of your words and actions. She's just like such a bad friend the whole time just like I would not want to hang out with her but I definitely went through that more in middle school but still I I have some distinct experiences of just like being really mean and not fully recognizing the impact of that already said locking into an obsession and being torn about the fantasy with the friends and and not being able to like separate from that or feeling pressure to like abide by an old fantasy and uh rejecting opportunities just as you mentioned eric i feel like i really did that especially later where i i had like a really hard time picking colleges and people were trying to help me and i would just kind of like have a breakdown and like couldn't move forward and um obviously i ultimately did but 
it was still really relatable. And then, of course, that um, modern art seems like bullshit to me most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I related so hard to that. (laughs) Well, that's that's like a fun counterpoint to like the no basic bitches mantra. It's like on the other side of the spectrum, there's like these phony artistic types. (sighs) Totally. (laughs) Which is also kind of Are the same, are, are equally fake. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. You're right. It's not basic, but it's still equally fake. Totally. That if I was gonna do like one of like my own like poster that it would be at like Gallery 1988 or something, I w- it would be for this movie. It would be a tampon in a teacup. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like that's so vivid to me. <laughs> God, I also really loved that part because I had a professor in college who was like exactly like Ileana Douglas in this movie and she was so infuriating because it's just like you knew if you did some stupid bullshit she would love it and if you worked really hard she wasn't going to give a shit. It was awful. I mean... There's layers to that character, but she really annoyed me. (laughs) (laughs) Even just the intro of her with the, like, the mother, the the mirror mother. Mirror mother. Yes. Mirror mother. (laughs) She's like, it just tells people who I am or something like that. What it's like to to be in my skin, you know. Oh, yeah. All those scenes are golden. You know, uh, because we've we've we started off by like kind of touching on the really like heavy elements, like the deeper elements of this movie. But it is also really hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. In the funny parts, it it really felt like not quite, but almost in the same world as like Napoleon Dynamite. I couldn't yes. really. I really <laughs> wanted them to be together. <laughs> just like this feels so real and just. It's kind of like it's kind of like it is a very similar vibe and almost very pitched the same way, but just to people who maybe live in a a different kind of place. Like Mm -hmm. Napoleon Diamond is really speaking to the rural or like the middle, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, Ghost World is for the kids who live like just outside the city, (laughs) far Mm -hmm. enough away to feel like it's like a whole other planet. Oh my god, it's pitched because this is like filmed in L.A. and like right around Mm -hmm. L.A. Mm -hmm. So it's it's very you know it's hip. Yeah. But they do a good. They do, they work very hard to like show the the least hip parts of it. It's like yeah. just to be like in like completely barren streets and yeah. like yeah. the most yeah. basic kind of signage for everything. It just feels so yeah. bland and drab, and makes right. these kind of characters you know stand out even more. Yeah, I love that. Th- there's like several shots of just just like corporate like signs and telephone poles and traffic but like nobody lives there right. it feels like nobody lives in this ghost town you know yeah. it's like, it is Literally, a ghost world there's a pair of pants on the ground and they just, <laughs> that's that <laughs> yeah well i lived i mean i don't know if our town was exactly like that but we were like you could take a bus into philadelphia but like philadelphia I mean... might as well have been a million miles away since we couldn't drive yeah i remember like the one time I went into Philly with some of our friends and we went to like Condom Kingdom and it was very <laughs> exciting. Just like exactly what happens and I I don't I didn't even understand she did she need a man to take her into the sex shop? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Cuz she was over 18, mm. wasn't she? Yeah. That was confusing to me, but I liked that scene. <laughs> I was just kind of reading that as another thing she's saying to like get him to go in with her. 
just being like, come on. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> she definitely just wanted to like embarrass him. <laughs> and he's really, she's, that's like her MO. Like she's a bad friend. She's always trying to like make folks uncomfortable. But I do feel like Seymour is the only one who can really make her uncomfortable too, which was a fun dynamic because yeah. he is kind of her, like who she could become if she stayed this exact way. Yeah. His his misanthropy Which, is real. <laughs> it's just, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. I don't think she really understood that until after she slept with him. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. I, yeah. At that scene, I couldn't help but like audibly be like, whoops, oh, whoops, a mm. daisies. That's, you just <laughs> feel oh my God. that terrible choice. <laughs> And then when he goes and, like, breaks up with his current girlfriend, I'm just like, what are you thinking, dude? She Mm -hmm. didn't even, like, stick around to say goodbye. Like, yeah, come on. Yeah, he he hedged all his bets. (laughs) It's awful. (laughs) Also a (laughs) whoops-a-daisy. Probably. probably. (laughs) I don't feel like he really liked... No, I don't think that was his forever person in the in the long run. But I don't think so either. But like, it's it's definitely yes, (laughs) definitely would have been wiser. (laughs) I definitely feel that like one thing I kind of related to was like having like as you get to be like an adult woman, you do have this power that you don't realize you have to like Mm -hmm. like she really messed up his life and i don't think she realized she had that power and i don't know i just feel like there's like a whole lot of movies about that exact thing where teenage girls realize their power after they've like done something horrible especially someone like her who her best friend is like the one who's always being hit on by like the younger men and and like she she doesn't have as strong of a sense of what like how attractive she is especially Mm -hmm. to someone like Seymour who she's like showing all of this attention to so yeah that seemed very realistic to me just like oh yeah me too (laughs) that's why you feel so hard for her like it's just a straight up bad mistake (laughs) yeah (laughs) but I actually that was another thing I really related to her over that maybe you remember Claire or you I'm sure you do but like I was just really into like the quiet boys like I had like a couple of passion projects where I was like, (laughs) you are mine and we are going to bring everything out of you. And I was just really interested. I just felt like these quieter boys like were just always so full of like, they had their own life and their own passions. And it was so much more interesting or, I mean, I liked our friends too, but like, it was so interesting. But I know. (laughs) Yeah. To like delve in and be like, Oh man, this you're like so into birds and like and he would barely yeah. even say like five words to anyone and I was like no you're coming to all of the parties with me like you are mine now um so I definitely could easily relate to that piece like I would have definitely latched on to Steve Buscemi in one second but like you are mine. I mean I feel like that was a little bit our thing with our friend group was like finding those boys <laughs> And just making them come to, like, our parties every weekend Mm -hmm. till they talked. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, I mean, it was definitely, like, 
more your project. <laughs> I was like, guess who we're bringing today? <laughs> and it was always great. It was always somebody awesome. They she just should have like shot for somebody younger. Like uh, like Dennis. Yeah. She was seemed sad that they were never going to see Dennis again. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's exactly the kind of sentiment I would have had. Because I don't remember being, like, bummed at the end of high school at all. I was like, I am ready. Goodbye. Me too. There's little moments like that 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 I love in this movie. Because that comes right right on the heels of them, like, very, very, uh, you know, vociferously talking about how they hate high school. Like, they're so glad it's over. How the, Mm -hmm. the party, the after party is so lame. And then there's that sad guy eating a cake. <laughs> it, yeah. it just, it just, the, the floodgates open a little bit. It's like, it, pe- yeah. it, cre- it, pre- it peaks out. And oh, I just love that moment. Is it Enid who says that, like, yeah. we're never going to see yeah. him again? How yeah. that's Which totally makes depressing. Sense. Like, that's her, yeah. that's her empathy kind of shining through. Yeah. 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 Like, I can relate to that a little bit. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't have a ton of friends from high school. And like, it's not that big a deal that I didn't see certain people ever again but like there is like a bittersweet quality to that it's just like i've spent how many years with these people and like it's just in a moment done <laughs> i get that well at least we have facebook now so we can yeah track them <laughs> it's true i do not have facebook true. So i don't know what anybody is doing <laughs> don't lose touch with claire lucky you <laughs> another um way that nostalgia is kind of punctuated is the everything must go sale enid's like trying to sell everything and then she like ultimately can't part with like (laughs) certain nostalgic uh pieces oh my god that's such (laughs) a good scene yeah it's five (laughs) hundred (laughs) dollars why do you even want it it'll look terrible on you fuck you (laughs) (laughs) i feel like i remember like that line reading fuck you (laughs) like i like I hear that in my head often and I, I kind of forgot where the source came from. And then I watched this again. I was like, Oh, that's what it's from. <laughs> I don't know who that lady is, but I just feel like this movie was such a who's who of like late nineties, early two thousands people. I was just like mm-hmm. constantly like, Oh my God, I remember everybody from this movie. David Cross cast. is in there. Yeah. Oh, the late Brad Renfro. Mm-hmm. Brad Renfro, I had like the biggest crush on. <sighs> I know. Huckleberry so Finn and Pat Healy. <laughs> Pat Healy. Too. Oh man, he's so effective in like the the two tiny scenes he's in. What a tremendous turd! <laughs> <laughs> I love him. <laughs> yes, I yeah. Like all his other projects, I you know I've I knew him from so many other things before I eventually saw Ghost World. So it's a it's a hoot to see him being like i really love him he's actually um in another movie called teenage cocktail that like really reminds me of ghost world in a way because it's that sort of like girl who doesn't know her own power like fucking up a man's life (laughs) and it's pat healy (laughs) that sounds good sounds right up his alley too (laughs) (laughs) patrick fischler is in this movie as the video store Mm -hmm. clerk Oh man, that so I, I listened to the commentary for this movie, and I forget who said it, but they said it was that that scene was basically like a like line for line, like actual <laughs> blockbuster interaction that they had. And while I was watching it before I listened to the commentary, I was like, man, I feel like I know these video store employees, like because back when I was a kid, like or in, around this time, high school, I would like go to Blockbuster and like rent you know movies that. I feel like I should have seen as like a film aficionado <laughs> and the employees are just so like over eager and like kind of annoying. <laughs> like 
not that knowledgeable. <laughs> it was just, yeah, that felt very true to like the blockbuster experience. I miss it so much. I do. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I don't. <laughs> really? I Fair. miss, oh my God, I miss going through like the five, I mean, I know you can still go through the $5 bins at Walmart, but like the super cheap VHS bins back then. I had such mm-hmm. a good movie collection. Well, when they when the movie rental places started, we had like a movie rental place. It wasn't Blockbuster, but it was some non-chain. And yeah. when they started going out of business, I bought like a trillion yeah. of their VHSs, <laughs> which was too late, too little too late. Like I probably <laughs> watched all of them once, if that, because then I moved out and never watched VHSs again. But I think they were like eight for a dollar or something like absurd. So how did you do it? Yeah. I mean, the, the blockbuster going at us business stuff like 10, 15 years ago was legendary. Like it, yeah. it's the same kind of deal, but with DVDs. I remember back in the day picking up armfuls. Same. Yeah. Yeah. But Alas. now, even if I have the DVD, it's usually scratched in some way. Like, I only do it if I accidentally turn on a movie that's streaming and then I realize somehow there's commercials on it, which I think happens with Amazon sometimes. It happened recently where I was like, oh, <laughs> I can't survive commercials anymore. I literally <laughs> feel like I'm going to die. I'm like, it's just not Same. even worth it. I'd rather never see I this literally, again. I watch Tubi TV so that I do have commercials because I miss them. <laughs> What? Wow. You're, you've you come to the right podcast, Claire. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah. I really miss it. It's like just a little break, you know? Yeah. Well, I don't know about Tubi, but when you do it on Amazon, it's not thoughtfully placed, you know? Like, I feel like in the past... It's like in the middle least, of a sentence. Yeah. Yeah. And, I'm like, yeah. I can't tonally, it's like this. wildly off. Like you, we watching Schindler, yeah. Schindler's List, and then like Arby's double bacon cheeseburger. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it'll be like two of that Arby's one in a row, yeah. and you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can't, can't abide. Um, another scene that I thought was very real was uh, when Enid tries to get the movie theater job. Oh my god. Which yeah. Was actually my first job. Was a was a movie theater. My first official on brand. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and and just like I remember, like having to upsell, just yeah. like she does, mm-hmm. and like being a little bit disgusted at the way certain people like wanted their orders. <laughs> like, yeah, just like oh, like give me like four times butter. I'm just like okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, especially since you go home, I also worked at a movie theater and like every shirt I had was stained. (laughs) All of my undershirts were just like, yeah, and you stank like you couldn't get that butter out. So then knowing that you're like, don't put this on. But now if I get popcorn, I put it on. Yeah, it must be why they moved the butter stations from behind the counter. They're like, we don't want to smell like this anymore. Do it yourself. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. That's generous. But that that scene was hilarious to me. The funniest scene for me. I like wrote the whole scene down in like a quote book of mine because I just thought that was like, I'm only telling you this because we're such good friends. Medium is strictly for suckers who don't understand the concept of value. (laughs) And her like, her just slightly older, very imperious, officious boss is probably 
perfect too. You know, just yeah. like yeah, I can't, yeah, yes. can't badmouth the feature. <laughs> <laughs> Why? You already got their money. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Um, I just remember her shudder. She like squirts the butter. And she's like, <sighs> yeah, and she like looks at the customer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like it seems like that more than anything, it's like feel ripped from the pages of the graphic novel. Like it, it's like these mm. four page vignettes maybe that yeah. in the yeah. movie kind of give it this feel. It's almost like this uh, heightened, absurd, like sketch comedy like feeling. Yeah. Where like we stop the plot for just a minute moment and have this like very funny vignette that's relatable. That's, that's hilarious. The blues bar is one of my favorites. Like, oh my God. <laughs> like awkwardly talking to a stranger and then yeah. and then all of a sudden <laughs> uh that that terrible the terrible band, band. yeah <laughs> blues hammer <laughs> <laughs> oh that was so hilarious to me just like the the douchey white guy singing like gonna pick the cotton roll. it's like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> bastardization yeah, of like deep a blues down in the, the delta blues oh <laughs> <sighs> uh. The tone deafness. We all, yeah, we've all we've all seen that before. <laughs> you wouldn't get away with it as easily now, though. So I feel like it was especially like, yeah. oh god, super super egregious. <laughs> but honestly, I I still feel a little bit like that whenever I see a white person playing the blues. I'm like, I don't know, a little bit of a blues hammer vibe. <laughs> mm-hmm. The um the coffee shop trivia is also one of my favorite scenes. Mm. The very, oh, right. very you know, slow <laughs> wheelchair. Do you know that's Crispin Glover's dad? I did see that later. Yeah, in the in the <laughs> in the credits. <laughs> he got like a whiff or something, didn't he? I don't know what's his name. The I guy in the wheelchair in the coffee house who does the yeah. trivia. Bruce Bruce oh, Glover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bruce yeah, Glover, yeah. Uh, who I also know from the the seventies James Bond movie Diamonds Are Forever. So he's been around a long time. Uh, he, yeah, he he's 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 an odd one. You know, if you're Crispin Glover's dad, that kind of stands to reason. <laughs> but just the way, like it, it's almost prescient that character. Just like the guy who's like opening his laptop to cheat on the uh-huh. trivia question so he can get a free coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, why not? So and like, just the, <laughs> and the wording that he uses is, you know, it's it's below the uterus, just below the uterus, yes. in the female as he closes the female. <laughs> <laughs> why would they ask that question as the truth? I was thinking yeah. that too. I was like, what a weird question to have. Maybe maybe Becky came up with it. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> She doesn't seem like she's into coming up with trivia. <laughs> she's just oh man! But I, I, I also like that scene because that then that prompts the the line about um, you know you get you get tired of all the weirdos and creeps uh, after Ian yeah. is like kind of think this, that guy rules. <laughs> she's like he really yeah. doesn't. <laughs> she's like those are our people. <laughs> yeah, I really I really like felt it from both characters' perspectives cuz I was like I mean the one like Scarlett Johansson does seem a little like she is getting a little bit boring in ways, but I also understand like she just doesn't want to hate everything anymore and like she just wants to like go with the flow a little more and like live life (laughs) i get that (laughs) between the two i'm sure i would have actually i don't know who i would relate to more but i definitely see where scarlett johansson is like she's definitely not as crappy of a friend period 
and she's yeah. just trying to be more responsible, even though you could argue that, like, being obsessed with this, like, plan that they made, which starts with them not going to college, but then, like, basically ends with them having their own apartment, and that's where the fantasy ends, and she's, like, so committed to it, so I think, as Cam was talking about, like, that's the immaturity part of her, but she's definitely, like, more of a high-functioning human in this film. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when when Enid is like, oh, you have this stupid seventh-grade dream, like your own apartment, yeah. I was like, well, doesn't... Don't most people want to, like, live on their own <laughs> yeah, eventually? Yeah. <laughs> and who knows what Scarlet lives with right now? Like, obviously, yeah. Enid can coast with her dad, and there's not, mm. like, too much tension or anything, but... Some people need to get out of the house. (laughs) To me, the biggest, like, turnoff about Scarlet's character is, like, is is that she, like, trash talks people like Seymour. Even though Enid's kind of, like, learning to sympathize with people like that, Scarlet's still, like, stuck in, like, oh, that person's trash. Like, we don't, they're not our people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's where her immaturity, like, turns me off and, and makes yeah. me, like, not like her as a character. Uh, even though she, yeah, like, she is on paper kind of, like, being the more responsible one. I get it. I do have more sympathy. Yeah. I think I can also see where she's coming from more, especially as an adult. Like, I think she sees the agenda or, or behind a lot of these people. I think that, like, she is trying to participate in the world. So like creeps and weirdos and losers just kind of like make her life harder. And Mm -hmm. as the being a recipient of like more attention, you know, Mm -hmm. than Enid, like I'm sure like the way that she's reading that first interaction they have with Seymour at the garage sale, it's like, Oh my God, another old creep hitting on me. Like I know, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I know what this, this is, I know where this is going and I don't want any part of it. (laughs) You know, like with David Cross at the party, you know, it's like, yeah, She's she's over that kind of thing. It's not so charming to her. And, you know, I yeah. get it. Yeah. And she's allowed to be attracted to who she's attracted to. Like, Enid loves Seymour or whatever, some approximation of that, but she ruins his life. Whereas Scarlet yeah. knows we have nowhere to go and uh, I don't really need you in this pursuit that I have. So, I don't know. The impact of Enid's actions to Seymour is more harmful for sure than... Scarlet's yeah. who's just like cuts it off at the at the start. Yeah, I mean something I really like about this movie is that it doesn't feel like it has a super strong like particular moral message or anything. Like I mean it does mm-hmm. have, you know, messages and you can read but I feel like you can read a lot of different things from it and you can relate to different things and sympathize with different things in all of these characters, but like really dislike a lot of things about these people, obviously. (laughs) And I really like that. I feel like that's missing from a lot of movies today. Like I do miss Mm -hmm. a more murky kind of story, a more murky characters. Yeah. You can kind of like project into whoever in this movie Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. take away whatever you want. And that's, that's cool. Because I, I like both of them for for different reasons, and I'm yeah. I'm like I'm a torn I'm torn at the end of this mm-hmm. movie. Like, who am I supposed to relate to? And that's that's cool. Yeah, and I like see things in myself that I also like hate about these people, <laughs> <laughs> but I like that too because I also relate to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely nuanced yeah. in a way that a lot of you know 
good luck having a big studio comedy that is new uh-huh. as nuanced as this. And you know, Seymour being one of those characters too. I have to, I just have to say, like I from the very first time I watched it, I felt seen and attacked by Seymour <laughs> as a character. <laughs> like, oh crap. And and Steve Buscemi is just like so perfect, you know. Mm-hmm. Talking about you like, great oh. performances all throughout this movie, but him in particular yeah. for me. Just like <laughs> oh, yeah. definitely you feel for yeah. him so much. But like, I also see what Enid see. Like he is both awesome mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. tragic yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah but also like he could he's like too stuck in himself and like it's his self-esteem and like his self-hatred like at some point he's like i hate my interests yeah. and <laughs> he is nothing but his interests and mm-hmm. that's what makes him awesome like he's he's really into this concert and not into like all of the bullshit and checking out the ladies and whatever at the like you can see how he stands out and he's different and he's his own person and also he's like completely trapped by who he's become. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite little moment is <laughs> yeah, we talked about the bar scene. Enid sets him up with the the bartender and she comes over and she talks about like blues and then he there's, there's like a shot of him he's just like mm, actually <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! Like yeah. you feel the turn where he's just like, oh, he's just gonna correct. <laughs> he's gonna correct her, and it's just gonna go downhill from here. Yeah. Oh, just don't and do it. <laughs> There's so uh. many pauses where he has like he could just kind of stop talking, but he keeps going. Like, yeah, jet ragtime, <laughs> like that it of Scott Joplin. Him, like... You can just see the interest leaving her face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it shows like what his potential is, which he can't see at all. Like he thinks it's just like everything about him is repellent. But actually, it's just that he's become so much within himself and, like, only hangs out with the people who Mm. would name their top five interests as different music genres (laughs) (laughs) that he has become, like, if he could just open up a little bit more and he would probably get more of what he wanted out of life, at least just based on how he talks about his life, like, he just absolutely hates it. (laughs) Yeah. It's awful. <laughs> they kind of go back and forth too with like where they're at, Enid and and Seymour, because like at times like he's trying to give her the pep talks, when, or like he kind of has like little sarcastic remarks, like uh, which talks. I think only stupid people have good relationships. Yeah. And he's like, that's the spirit. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Jesus, kid. <laughs> it's like I can understand myself saying that, but <laughs> you shouldn't be mm. saying that. I also love his like therapy scene at the very end, yeah. <laughs> and just oh, how, how much the therapist like hates him and just like <laughs> <He's> so rough, <laughs> and just and how like clearly useless she is. But yeah. maybe he like yeah. has to do yeah. it or something because he's clearly moved back in with his mom, and I think he mm-hmm. wants Dude, to. I was not... like, get a different therapist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she's clearly just yeah doesn't want to deal, <laughs> doesn't want to actually deal, and then. But that, but he has like the line just encapsulates his whole character. It's just you know things have really been looking up for me since my life turned to shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. It's like a little bit of zen. <laughs> yeah, and like at the beginning when they um, do the like fake date, or they they kind of set him up just to make fun of him, and then mm-hmm. they remark about how he goes back into his apartment, and he like doesn't even seem <laughs> yeah, that upset, like he expected it. 
But it's kind of cool that at the end, like, he really didn't expect it from Enid, and that's why he got, like, all worked up and ended up in the hospital. But what was great is that he got to see who he really was through Enid because she showed him the journal and was like, you're my hero. Look at all of this. Like, the the first page, I thought you were a loser, but every other page here, I think you're fantastic. And mm-hmm. so I hope that that, even though his life is a little bit ruined... Uh, I don't really think hope it does get better. Yeah, at least he got to see what someone could see in him mm-hmm. and yeah. did. And his mom's going to make him mashed potatoes for dinner, so <laughs> that's good. I wish my mom would make me mashed potatoes for dinner. <laughs> she did in the past, though, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think uh, another kind of like come to Jesus moment I really like. It's the like the dialogue free scene near the end where Enid is getting ready to pack up her stuff because she's going to move in with Rebecca the next day. She's emptying a box that has all her childhood toys in it. And she puts on that record that's like clearly something she used to listen to a lot as a little girl. And, you know, is literally like ta- like tossing out her childhood to put, you know, pack up her new adult responsibilities with the T-shirt from Computer Station. And that moment yeah. is so poignant and so says it all. Yeah. I, uh, I love it so much. And it's like... A computer station. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your future. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of like, I. that's probably where I definitely could relate to it if I had seen this as a teenager, like trying, literally having to jettison the care, kind of carefree years, your childhood hopes and dreams. And... Yeah, fill fill all that space with the bullshit of the real world <laughs> that's in store for you <laughs> and it's like really it, it's overwhelming i totally get it i totally get why she wouldn't show up the next day it made me think of the night before i left for college Blythe was actually with me like i don't remember anything of that whole summer but i remember just like panicking because I couldn't get all my music onto my laptop that night like it just wasn't gonna happen and I was just like that was the thing that like I latched on to to just like freak out about I don't know it just made me think of yeah that. no that's, that's yeah that's totally totally I mean I had a situation where I was I was going cross-country to go to college and I had to literally pack everything in two suitcases and it just yeah. became, I think, like, my defense mechanism was to, like, just stop caring about anything. Like, ah, I don't need that or that or that. And yeah. I ended up getting rid of a lot of stuff I, I wish I had again. <laughs> over, <laughs> over, over over a number of years, yeah. But it, that's where it all started. It's like, well, th- like this is me now. Try- time to not be this person anymore. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I should have handled that more like Enid. <laughs> Claire, that reminds me of, I had, like a like, a music sharing party. That was, like, one of the last things I did before I went off to college, it was like a music, sh- like everyone just come to my house. It was like a couple of people just like come to my house. We'll just like trade CDs and like burn each other's music. And like, nice. <laughs> I was like, that's the most important thing. You got to like covet the music that <laughs> I, yeah, I really college. freaked out about it. I think I only had like Hanson and no doubt on my computer <laughs> when I went to college. Cause like for some reason, nothing else would load. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember this plot, but I had like a full on panic attack about it. <laughs> I wish my memory was not just total garbage. 
<laughs> I mean, it's fine. You were there for me at that moment, and it was great. <laughs> I didn't really have this experience going to college because I think I was one of the last people to go. Like, I think I wasn't due to go. Like, you definitely left, obviously, before me. But I think by the time I left, none of my friends were there. I didn't have, like, a super comfortable home life. So I was like, I am ready. Like, I don't want any of this shit. Like, and I've never been, like, a hoarder anyway. So I was, like, I did not have, like, Nista. And my life got infinity easier when I went to college. For me, (laughs) I slept, like, four or five hours a night when I was in high school. And then I went to, and people were like, you're just getting ready to go to college. And then I went to college and I was like, I'm sleeping like 10 hours a night now. (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) That was another thing I said in this movie was like, it's such bullshit how they act like how you have to do all of this stuff to prepare for college. And then like college was so much easier. You have so many, so few classes. like (laughs) And like no homework. (laughs) Yeah. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So high school is way harder. High school is infinitely harder for me. It's the hardest part of my life. Still. So I wouldn't have been like Enid in that way. But I still could relate to like the challenge of making like a decision about what you're going to do next. Because it does feel like it's your whole life that you're deciding when the truth is it's not at all. You could make a million career choices as both me and my husband and friend of the podcast, Brian, (laughs) know intimately. (laughs) For all the kids listening doesn't matter doesn't matter what you do (laughs) you could change yeah (laughs) I didn't know what I wanted to do when I went to college and like I feel like I still don't really know and college was just like a fun time in between so totally someone just yesterday asked me they were like oh did you study HR in school and I was like I studied film and she was like (laughs) did that help you to become an HR manager (laughs) no (laughs) in no way did it help me (laughs) i feel like we got stupid advice when we were graduating college it was like right before people realized you didn't have to go to college and be like a hundred thousand dollars in debt to be successful yeah yeah (laughs) or that it really wouldn't matter anyway because we're all kind of toiling at the same jobs the same level (laughs) yeah Yeah. we're all here now (laughs) you live you learn and yet we all survived anyway wow we're all such well-adjusted happy people (laughs) 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 this is the film for us (laughs) (laughs) that's why just as you said eric it's so good like people who haven't seen this i think would still really love it yeah like i don't i don't think it's obviously it's dated you know nobody has any phones and obviously multiple scenes of answering machines and waiting by ringing phones yes Uh (laughs) someone gaming the system with a a portable internet machine yes i can't i can't go out because i'm waiting for a phone call (laughs) yeah but it's still extremely relatable anyway yeah yeah it's Mm -hmm. it's universal it's like it's more than light amusement it's definitely high art And like Claire was saying, it's so nuanced in its message. And the fact that it can hit you so differently at different points in your life and still be like a movie that you value and cherish, you know, from both perspectives, it's it's quite a feat. A lot of things we tend to talk about, it's either like, man, this was great when I was a kid, 
at least for me. And then like as an adult, like, you know, it's different, you know, I, but I'm glad I saw it when I was a kid. <laughs> like I loved it then. <laughs> I'm only speaking for myself, Cam. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is something, yeah. A lot agreed. of things it's like, true. I was just going to say a lot of things require the nostalgia, but I feel like this is a pretty timeless mm-hmm. film. Yeah. And all the embarrassing things are supposed to be embarrassing. Like there are some cringy <laughs> moments, but for the most part, they are absolutely supposed to be cringy. Yeah. yeah. Cringe is the setting for this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of cringy moments, like Seymour's just so easy to embarrass, which is awesome <laughs> even when Enid's not there like when he's having his first date with Dana and she like wants to dance with him in her living room. <laughs> yeah oh my god I was so sad for him at that time I was like just dance with the woman just like mm-hmm. Eva let's put down your uh, ice cream <laughs> put, <laughs> put down your bowl of ice cream I, I heard that like it, it was like originally put down your ice cream, but he's like, no, we should say bowl, bowl of ice cream to make it more like diminutive. Give me your sippy cup. Yeah, yeah. She did have kind of like a mommy attitude. Yeah, like I'm not sure he was meant to end up with her, but I still feel like it was a good stepping stone for him. Mm-hmm. Could boost his confidence a little more, but I feel like Enid sure. maybe did boost his confidence in the end i mean we can't know right. for sure i she hope also so wrote his life yeah one one was a slight i think one was a little more healthier form of meddling you know <laughs> yes buying him some jeans yeah. <laughs> versus and a little rocking horse to go with his old timey stuff yeah <laughs> versus like taking his his racist art and getting him fired <laughs> That's such a oh yeah! I forgot he got fired. (laughs) Also, that sucked. Well, you know, she didn't know her. She didn't know her power. Plus, (laughs) Seymour's Seymour's playing with fire, collecting that stuff and and showing it and and lending it out. (laughs) Yeah, I would never have let her in my like off limits records room i was like everything she touches she breaks she's irresistible though like nobody can stop the force that is enid like becky is constantly Mm -hmm. going along with whatever she wants to do obviously josh is like powerless to not give them rides and do terrible stuff with them and they're ruining his i mean hopefully that's not his forever job but still they're like he's Enid is about to lose that job. <laughs> Enid has big Kramer energy. That's how I describe it. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down she is an agent of sabotage for everybody, including herself. Yeah, that's her MO. Yeah. She is chaotic. Man, I would love to see the movie where she and Pat Healy butt heads some more. Like they're kind of spy versus spy. <laughs> Trying to undermine each other and ruin each other's life. That would be amazing. Fuck things up from the inside. Yeah. Is that what he says? Yeah. yeah. It's like, if you want to be a punk, go go, go to business school. <laughs> oh, man. But maybe that's a good segue. Unless unless anyone else has an, anything else they'd like to, to say. Any other topics? Any memories that they like to talk about? I got it all out. Feels good. Same. But okay, then that's a great segue into our, our next segment, which... Uh, is throwing out some pitches. So we got some pitches. I can go first because mine are just a little silly. <laughs> I just started kind of thinking of titles like of sequels I like to see. 
I've I've been recently rewatching like all the Star Trek movies. So like I had Ghost World Two: The Search for Enid. <laughs> Where did she go? We need to get her back. <laughs> Other idea I had was Ghosted, which would be kind of a move a similar movie that tells the events from Rebecca's perspective. Oh, kind of nice. her friend gradually kind of fading away from her life. And like how did you know, how's she doing with the coffee shop and all that. But I landed on something that's like gonna be the like the MCU style crossover event. <laughs> We'll take I love it we'll take the characters from Ghost World and then we combine it with the title character from Wilson, which is a 2017 movie that's also based on a Daniel Klaus comic. And it's about it's about what you'd expect. It's like a grown man misanthrope. And then they come together um, <clears throat> and with a special surprise appearance by Harvey Picar from American Splendor, <laughs> which was another, you know, indie comic movie from around the same time. And together we just have like, like the Avengers colon misanthropes, you know, it's like, what if, yes. what if, what if like the Avengers, but they just hate everybody. <laughs> oh, that would be such I a love hit. That. Yeah, that's <laughs> That's my favorite one. Oh yeah. That's awesome. I like it. That is awesome. Well, if, if you're following Enid, I want to I want to follow Rebecca for my sequel. So as we kind of discussed, she's she's the one kind of like in a rush to grow up in this movie. So I could see her kind of gradually turning into someone very conventional, working on typical nine to five, someone her teenage self would have made fun of. Um, so let's say she got married. Let's say you know not not too long after high school. Uh, it can even be to their friend Josh from the first movie. And let's say they have a daughter, but eventually Josh passes away. Much like Brad Renfro, R.I.P. We can't recast him. Uh, and she's left to raise her daughter by herself. So my sequel picks up some 20 years later uh, after the first film. Rebecca's daughter is graduating high school. And the daughter is like the modern day equivalent of what Rebecca and Enid were at that age. Like cynical, immature, embarrassed by their parents. Uh, we see through the daughter's dismissal of her mother, how much Rebecca has become the thing she used to hate. Uh, the daughter can even have like a hipster friend that evokes Enid, uh, who she goes off to live with after graduation, fulfilling the dream that Rebecca was never able to. Now an empty nester, Rebecca wanders her hometown, finally once again realizing how depressing it's all become. And so one day she's going through her daughter's belongings, and she comes across a graphic novel on her shelf, Ghost World, by Enid Coleslaw, <laughs> which is her last name. <laughs> Amazingly named character, yes. <laughs> so n- nostalgia overcomes her as she reads through the comic book version of her teenage years with Enid. Uh, she calls her daughter asking what this Ghost World book is all about, but her daughter doesn't seem to know what she's talking about or how it got there, since she would never read any lame comic books. So Rebecca tries to track down the publisher, but learns they went out of business years ago. Uh, there's no trace of Enid, no no phone number, nothing, until she sees the end of the book where Enid boards the bus. So Rebecca goes out goes out to the out of service bus stop and waits until the bus finally arrives. So then it becomes a road movie. Rebecca rides the bus as it picks up all manner of weird, strange characters who talk about their sad lives, almost as if their lives were over. And I kind of want to play with like that suicide reading of the bus but without ever blatantly like confirming that that's what it represents, just keeping it ambiguous 
Um, like this could be some sort of ghostly, like afterlife this is, experience, but, but never quite confirming right. it. Um, so finally the bus reaches its final stop and there's, there's a, there's a location in the, in the graphic novel that I like. Um, it's cave town. It's like Rebecca and Enid go to like this, like in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, like the old in the desert, like dinosaur. The ro- roadside park. attractions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Roadside attractions and the theme. Yeah. So that's where it ends up. That's like the last stop of this bus ride. Um, and she's just like spits out and she's like, okay, I'm going to wander this dinosaur park. And she, she, she's like walking around and then Enid shows up 20 years later and they, they reunite. Rebecca pours her feelings out to Enid, like about how she's become the very epitome of lameness that the two of them used to hate. But Enid reassures her that she did okay, you know, by raising a rad daughter all by herself. And that hating yourself is the lamest of all. (laughs) (laughs) And so Rebecca ultimately accepts herself. um, And we end with them, like, wandering off to a 50s diner, of course, (laughs) where the two of them just, you know, are people watching. And they, they just, all the weird characters that enter the diner and they're laughing together. And, and we never, we never move on beyond that it's like we're left to to determine if this is actually the afterlife if this is you know did they both kill themselves and now they're just having fun in the afterlife or did they actually reunite i don't know i like playing with the idea of the ghost world the eerie you know yeah that sounds dope to me (laughs) i like the uh it's it's like got a spirited away vibe too Mm. it also it just um it made me think of the movie risk cutters yeah, you've seen that, right? That's totally what it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Bruce Cutter vibes. Great. I don't have a pitch because <laughs> Blythe told me well. she had one. <laughs> this is okay. So my... This is a sexy books podcast collective pitch. <laughs> Though it wasn't run by Claire, so I apologize if this doesn't represent your dream pitch, Claire. It's cool. It's cool. <laughs> so I was thinking like of like a limited run series like High Fidelity with Zoe Kravitz, and this would be Ghost mm. World, and my cast for Enid would be Billie Eilish if she can act and would want to like Ooh. vehicle nice. uh Something and I, I think it would be updated. So like maybe she would be more into like the seventies and eighties or something like that. I was thinking like vintage VHS porn or something when everybody else is getting crazy with their internet porn or I don't know. Just because she's also talked about her porn experiences, so I thought that was kind of cool. And maybe she's like really passionate about something like climate change but maybe i don't know maybe she doesn't whatever it i'm not going to be the youth who this is going to have to be a gen z project obviously (laughs) i was thinking for like the seymour character fortune feimster so now we have like a lesbian (laughs) thing going on and i i thought she might be a cool themester i don't maybe it's themester i thought she might be an interesting cast and then i for becky i I cast Yara Shahidi because I just felt like it had to be someone who is more classically beautiful than Billie Eilish for what we need. And then just like really dig into all of these pieces, but like updated for a for a Gen Z crowd. 
That sounds yeah, great to sounds me cool. too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you could really like explore more of the material, mine more of the material. I, I don't know how, how, how long is the graphic novel cam? Is it like a couple of volumes? Oh, really? It's like 80 pages. It's, it's not. Yeah. Like, I feel like each little issue is like 10 to 20 max. Yeah. Well, I feel like you could also just, like, dedicate... First of all, I think it would be, like, a comedy, like, a comedy situation. But also you could have, like, episodes that just dig into a different character. Like, mm-hmm. like Seymour... Yeah. I don't, I don't know what her name would be, but, like, Miriam, whatever. <laughs> she would have her own episode, and, like, Becky could have her own episode, and you could just kind of dig into the things that they're going through, too, and... And just spend a little more time enjoying all of the different characters. Maybe Josh has a character. Mm-hmm. I didn't cast him. Could Bob Balaban still be Enid's dad? Definitely. Probably. <laughs> Why not? That's what I... I would love to see that. And I would love to see his episode. Just what's what's he going through? Like when he, yeah. he makes that like sandwich and he's just so like uh, enamored with it. Like, oh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love a real character piece, but I feel like Billie Eilish has the vibes. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I see it. That'd be good. And the boobs, if I do say so myself. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> and and it'd, be, it'd be another way to play with like a cool fashion sense. That's that's something I, we didn't bring up. Like mm-hmm. the, all the costumes in this movie mm-hmm. are really oh, interesting yeah. and important. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, I, I, I couldn't I didn't catch if they're like supposed to be outside of LA, but it does kind of remind me of the vibes, not exactly, but the vibes of this author that Claire and I really love, Francesca Leah Block, where it's like all about finding stuff that's like kind of tacky or, or whatever, but repurposing it for and now it's cool and yeah. I don't know. It had like those adjacent vibes though obviously Enid is altogether much more jaded but still she like will pick something out and be like yes I'm wearing this leather cat mask she's she's going for (laughs) yeah she's going for kitsch yeah exactly exactly well and like when she was selling all her stuff and Scarlett Johansson was like oh this was from your little old lady phase (laughs) like Well, in that spirit, uh, these are all million-dollar ideas, so I hope the people in Hollywood are listening. And, you know, <laughs> we usually say you can send us the checks, but this time we're going to put on that leather bondage headgear and say, give me all your money, bitch! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're coming to the to the end of the show here, the last segment, and it's, it's, it's by far the most important one. Just kidding, but I still want to. I still want to ask ourselves for Ghost World. What were we watching? What were we watching? I feel like we're watching a woman who is kind of avoiding making her own decisions and moving forward in her life by judging everyone and thinking that she's got everyone figured out and and she's so magnetic in the process that I truly think that you read this movie in a totally different way when you're in high school than you do after high school and you're like oh Mm -hmm. 
what a dear. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. For me, it was like definitely just an encapsulation of like a part of myself that I've definitely had, like I definitely felt in high school, this big like outsider piece of myself. And she was just like, the embodiment of that and it was like all of my like fear of the real world and judgment and everything wrapped up into like a very relatable character at the time (laughs) yeah just kind of running with uh what you both said and especially what Bly said like it's it's our generation's catcher in the rye it's like this coming of age story that hits you different ways depending on when you encounter it and this this very kind of universal background of teen angst, alienation, all set like in this contemporary sub subtext and about how these power dynamics are still present and playing out among the relatively powerless. And that's just life. That's just the pecking order of life. So true. Well said. Uh, I was watching The Growing Pains of Becoming an Adult or the fear of losing one's identity in the process of becoming more responsible conforming to the working world at the cost of maybe like losing one's niche interests when you're a teen. That's like the worst thing that could possibly happen is your interests becoming yeah obsolete or boring. Or... When you're changing, when you're becoming, you're gaining things, but you're losing them too. And this is really hits that, that right note of like kind of melancholy and absurdity that's inherent in that. I love that it's done as a black comedy. Yeah. It's like the perfect vehicle for this kind of message. <laughs> It's really one of the most like high school feeling movies For sure. I can think of. Like it just captures that totally. attitude. Just disgust with <laughs> with the world. <laughs> I think that's like another thing of, about movies today is like you don't encounter as many characters that truly feel the age that they are supposed to be in the movie mm-hmm. and like Enid really mm-hmm. does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well said. That's that's totally totally true of this film. And I'm so glad that we got to talk about it with our two friends, Blythe and Claire. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This was a great first collab with our two podcasts. There you go. Presumptuous, (laughs) but I like it. (laughs) (laughs) We for sure would love to have you back on again. Talk about more of our nostalgic faves try to top top the wonderful work you've both done here but um in the meantime where can where can people find you with the sexy books podcast yeah so we just talk about sexy books Mm -hmm. lots of romance novels and like all of the issues that they bring up and sort of surrounding them i don't know if you want to yeah say anything blithe it's like (laughs) a really sex positive like we we first and foremost give you what I think is excellent recommendations for sexy books to read, but then also just exploring the different ways that sexuality manifests. And yeah, it's really sex positive. And the main takeaway is like, you do you, man, <laughs> or mm-hmm. woman, or none of those things. <laughs> <laughs> you go person um you go person <laughs> especially if you are a college hockey player i remember those those beginning days the early days of your cast. many of our first episodes <laughs> are hockey centric <laughs> totally totally 
<laughs> but um, we're on like most of the podcast platforms, I think, under Sexy Books Podcast, and we're on Twitter as Sexy Books Pod. I don't remember our Instagram. <laughs> I bet if you look up Sexy Books Podcast, you'll find it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it is Sexy Books Podcast on Insta. Because I am a follower and a fan, I yes. I, rec- I recommend to, to all you listeners out there give it a give it a check it out. It's it's a lot of fun, and you'll get to hear nice. more of Blythe and Claire. As for us, we are you know always where you find us. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> We're on dot com uh, has all of our old episodes, as does our Bandcamp page. Social medias were all all what were we watching. Uh, if you want to drop us a line, if you have thoughts about Ghost World, about teen angst, about the things you collect that you really wish you could stop collecting, we want to hear about it. Which, by the way, did any of you have like kind of beloved collections at, around this time in your life? Like as a teenager, some like really weird collections? I collected model horses for like most of my life. So I had like a really big model horse collection, like huge. <laughs> That's all I can think of. I had a lot of model So when you horses. say model horses, is it like 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 a figure of a horse? Is it like a model that you put together? That like looks like <laughs> no, a- no. It's just like a, like a toy okay. that you buy, but like they came in all different sizes. There were like model horse shows. I went to one once. It was a whole thing back in the day, but... I don't have any of them anymore because they got stolen. Oh, no. <laughs> what? what? Oh, God. I, I, like, took them to a pawn shop to sell them, and the pawn shop ended up getting broken into. And, uh, yeah, but it was, you know, it's all right. <laughs> I think. I was ready to let them go at that point, so it's Well, okay. it's a bummer that you didn't get any, anything for them. <laughs> I know, but I mean, really, it was like my parents probably wasted so much money on that, so. <laughs> just just the idea of like that being the thing of value that's stolen from the pawn shop, like where there are often, you know, like jewelry. I know, and- it was really strange. <laughs> it was really strange. They're like, yes, jackpot, what I've been waiting for. <laughs> they were all really pretty and like in good condition, so if they liked horses. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is like a better answer than I could have imagined to that question. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Wait, that's way more niche and true to the Hell spirit yeah. of the ghost world. <laughs> I'm telling you, I definitely had an Enid inside of me. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, I, I collected hats, <laughs> like baseball caps with like lots of weird things on them. Uh, I had a friend whose father worked in like, you know, apparel and... So he would always have samples of weird things. That's awesome. But I wouldn't wear them. Cool. I just kind of like set them on my wall or, or I can't get a, like one of those special racks, hat racks that hang on the back of your door. But I would only like rotate the same three over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> Cam, but, you must have some. I mean, mine's boring. I feel like I was, I was just ramping up my DVD collecting yeah. at this time. So it, it wasn't, I, don't, I had like comics and... Pretty basic for a, for a boy. <laughs> basic boy. Basic B. That's you. I don't think I had anything that I couldn't lose. I, I, yeah. It's not my jam. Yeah. But then I married a real collector, and now Speaking I'm a vicarious collector. As so we can see behind Brian you. Brian was on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Serious. This entire room well, is. Then you're you're gorgeous. you've actually become uh, again more by association, uh, more of the Seymour type. You know, in in your adult years, you've got <laughs> got over fifteen hundred rocks in this collection. Oh my god! I wish we only had fifteen hundred rocks. <laughs> <laughs> had to pare down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this house is full of collections, but I wouldn't say that I'm the I'm the chief of our collecting. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It would be pretty uh, dramatic if we were both collectors. That like we would need a house twice as big. Yeah, yeah, you'd have storage issues for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> only room enough for one collector, <laughs> one collector in the household. family. <laughs> Well, tell us about your collections, listeners. What were we watching at gmail.com? I forgot that was all prelude to telling you the email address. So <laughs> I, I do get sidetracked sometimes, but there it is. What were we watching at gmail.com? We'd love to hear from you. And um, we've just had a really good time. So thank you once again to the Sexy Books podcast, to Claire thank and you. to Blythe. Thank you. This is so much fun. Yes. Totally. We shall Such do it again. Movie. It's a good movie. Check it out. <laughs> check out the sexy books podcast and check out me and cam here on what we're watching and until next time why sir do you not know that for a mere 25 cents more you could purchase a large beverage and you know i'm only telling you this because we're such good friends medium is really only for suckers who don't know the concept of value